This is Legacy Battle. Make sure you hit like and subscribe, whatever you're listening on. I'm Michael Adams, creator of Legacy Battle. My co-host tonight from the Gridiron Battle Zone, Brian King, Penn State Collegiate All-Star, Kevin Adams. Uh, we're joined here tonight by an MLB veteran who's a catcher with the Pirates, Rockies, and Cardinals. Career 988 fielding percentage, over 1,600 putouts. He retired in 2016 and then would be brought in uh, by the Pirates in 2018 as a studio analyst. So we got catcher Mike McHenry here. Mike, thanks for joining us. I appreciate you guys having me. Looking forward to talking a little bucko baseball. Absolutely. We're going to give you a little 2023 preview of the baseball season for the Pirates, and then we're going to get into a Q&A uh, about his career here. So uh, let's start this out with how long do you expect Brian Reynolds to be with the team? I mean, that's the question everybody wants to know. He's got two more years of arbitration, so they have control until 2026. I mean, the reality of it is if they can keep him, they're going to. Uh, I, I think bridging the gap between – you know, what he's asking for, which they're about $70 million, uh apart from the rumors and what I've heard personally. So until they kind of bridge that gap, I think he does want to be in Pittsburgh. He he fits the mold. He's kind of got that personality that maybe he doesn't want to end up in a New York or an L.A. where he has to deal with the media a lot differently. I mean, they, they just absolutely destroy you even if you have a bad week. So I think being able to be in Pittsburgh fits his personality, fits what his family wants. It's kind of that small market that has a ton of potential coming forward. So I hope they bridge that gap. I think it'd be really smart for the organization to figure out a way to find that balance. Maybe if they could even sign him through that 2026 season would be really important because it's one of those things that'll set a precedence. Even if they trade him, whatever happens, it's setting a precedence that you can kind of throw that out there and nothing's going to happen in return. So the more conversation, the more transparency, the better for the organization. Because if you look at how the entire offseason shook out. It, it did not go in the Pirates' favor by by any stretch. You know, just the signings, and I use Brandon Nemo constantly. He's the guy that you look at, and you're like, man, this guy got a lot of money. He got eight years. I believe it was $168 million. So you have to look at that and say, well, Brian Reynolds is probably a better player. He's projected to have better numbers. You kind of look at the war numbers and stuff. He can grade out pretty high. You look at Matt Olson at, in Atlanta. I mean, that, those numbers don't necessarily say hey he's not worth 180 million dollars so they got to find something where they maybe bridge that gap get a little creative I said defer money sign him to a huge signing bonus like they did with Mookie Betts out in LA whatever you have to do I think it'd be really good for the fan base I think it'd be really good for Pittsburgh and he's a guy you want to bet on I mean he's a guy that works his tail off I've, I've heard he's a cage rat I've seen him in there he's always working always just grinding and right now He's spending all of his time with Swinsky and Kutch. So that kind of tells you kind of where his mind is, what he wants to do. I believe those are our three outfielders going into the season. So I hope they figure this out. I do think he'll be a pirate as long as they're playing well. Um, but if the right deal comes up, I understand that they would trade him. I just I don't like the market's going to leave on the organization if they don't find a way to be transparent and give it all they have. So you mentioned this next guy. He's definitely going to put some fans in the stands. Uh, what can we expect from 36-year-old Andrew McCutcheon? And what, do you, what are your thoughts of the Pirates bringing him back? You know, I was looking at his numbers recently, and I, I think if you look back at 2017, he hit 27 homers, I believe, with Philadelphia. Um, I'm hoping to see that guy. And he's not – a 36, 37-year-old right now, he is he's moving well. He looks young. He looks as good as I've seen him probably in five or six years with this swing. 
He really uh, shortened up a lot of the movements. The head's not moving as much. He's healthy, which is a huge thing. And the biggest thing for me that no one's talking about is he DH last year. His, his offensive numbers were down. Well, I cannot put it in perspective like him, but in my last year in 17, I DH'd a lot and played left. I was learning two new things in AAA. It was very, very difficult because your routine completely changes. I went from, you know, eating apples behind the plate, a.k.a. the baseballs that hit me in the face like an apple, to sitting out in the outfield playing with grass and then DHing the other days. So it was very different, and I think having a year under his belt understanding that's going to take him to a whole new level of, you know, what makes it successful, what doesn't, what he needs to do on a daily basis. Maybe he needs to work out more, which I found out when I DH'd or played left, I had to work out those days to calm myself down because it was high strung. And he kind of said the same thing. So it's kind of finding that balance mixed with his swing is as good as I've seen it mixed with, he started his off season earlier than ever, and he's going to live at home in his own bed. So you have all these positives and then he's coming back to a place that just has absolutely embraced him. So the confidence has got to go up as well. And, you know, just talking to him, he seems like he's in an absolute wonderful place. As long as we don't overextend our presence as a media group, you know, wear him, wear him to pieces, I think he's going to have a great year. I really do. Awesome. And I want to look at uh, at the missile, young, talented. Is O'Neill Cruz, is he going to be an all-star this season? The cyborg. I call him the cyborg. I, I, I'm pretty sure he was made in the lab. I mean, the guy is just not normal. He, he's an absolute freak when you think about all the things he can do. And, yeah, there's no reason he can't be an all-star. There's no reason he can't be an MVP. Now, do I think that's going to happen? I don't know. I, I really have no clue. I mean, I'm not going to put anything, anything past this guy. After what he did last year, just the national attention he got from throwing a ball across the diamond. It wasn't like he threw it 89-90, which would have been tops in the leagues. He threw it 98. 98, short arm. He's, he's unprecedented. There, there, there's nobody that can say, well, Ono Cruz is going to put up these numbers. No one can say anything because we don't know. He could hit 50 homers. He could hit 60 homers. He's got that type of power. He could steal 40 bases. He could win a gold glove. It, it, it's just, it, it's a different animal. I mean, we just haven't seen it. You're putting Daryl Strawberry and Kevin, DeGrant, uh, Kevin Durant, making them have a baby and throwing them as a shortstop. I mean, that's I the reality. <laughs> so, uh, Carlos Santana, G-Man Choi, do these guys have anything left in the tank? We know that Tampa's usually pretty smart about when they let people go. So, uh, you know, what are your thoughts on those two? Well, first, I'll, I'll answer the Tampa Bay question. Tampa Bay uses a two-for-one. So, they feel like they can find a, a G-Man Choi for that $4.25 bucks, whatever he's making, and, and take two players – that maybe have been undervalued, you know, if you look at kind of some of their signings and get that value back, and then they spend the money elsewhere. So it's not that they didn't have the money. They just spent it on Zach Eflin. They spent it on some other guys by kind of holding them in. I mean, they signed Tyler Gosnell to an extension. So they, they know that they can replace the bats a little bit different than the arms, and they're always strategic, like you said, with what they're doing. I don't think she's out of the, like, realm of being very good, I think he brings something here, as does Santana, as does Connor Joe, a veteran bat, an intelligent baseball player with high baseball IQ that balances out our lineup. We needed some guys, and Kutch does this too, we needed some guys that had some OPS, but really we needed the on-base percentage. It, 
you stack the two together. Yeah, that's great. But like, we needed guys that were going to extend at bats. Santana, G-Man, Connor Joe, and McCutcheon all do that. So you go up and down the lineup. Swinski loves to get the bat off his shoulder, swing early. Cruz, same thing. I think Key Bryan's better when he doesn't take a lot of pitches. Reynolds, same thing. So now you start stacking these guys one after the one after another. You have more guys on base. You have more pitches seen. You're getting to the bullpen earlier. All those things start to play out better. So I think it was a strategic move to balance out the lineup as much as anything and to grabbing guys that can pour into some of the youngsters. You know, it's not a coincidence that, you know, you, you can look at uh, – Santana is going to be able to really pour into O'Neill Cruz and some of these young Latin guys. Cutch is going to be able to pour in some American guys. And then G-Man Chu, I hope he grabs a, the little little center fielder, a little second baseman. Um, but we'll, we'll see. I, I'm really excited to see these guys and see how they pour in. And then you add Rich Hill to the mix. It's just absolutely dynamite. That brings me to my next question. What's your prediction for the starting rotation? And will 42-year-old Rich Hill be one of those five? Uh, yeah, he'll be the leader of the pack. Um, and – not because he has the best stuff, but because he competes as good as anybody in the big leagues. I don't care if he's in a walking chair. He's, he's going to get out there and do his thing. And if you've watched him throw his bullpens, he's grunting. He's yelling. Um, he's a guy that can mix his arm angles and release points. He, he messes with guys' timing. He reads bats well. He's been around for a long time. So difference between a 41-year-old season and being really, really good. And then the AL East to 42, I don't think we have to worry about too much. I don't think the pressure is going to be on him like it was in Boston. I think he can just go out and do his thing. I think he's going to try to throw five innings every single time and leave as a winner and see what happens. You know, and I think it's going to be really good for the team to be able to just surround themselves with him, whether it's the coaching staff, which he's older than some, whether it's the young bucks, it doesn't matter. Just get around this guy. He's going to help you. He's going to teach you. He's going to pour into you because he knows what it's like to lose the game. He's no, he knows what it's like to win and be at the top. And I think guys like that are very, very important to build a franchise. So I'm excited about him. Uh, my breakout candidate, I just talked to Mackie about this the other day, is Oviedo on the team. Um, he picked Sawinski, so I had to go Oviedo. Sawinski's my number one. But uh, Oviedo, I, I think, is going to have a, a huge year. His stuff is just off the charts. I'll never forget breaking him and Jack Flaherty down last year on AT&T and showing the similarities body type, just the athletic build, the look, the feel, kind of the Joe Musgrove type uh, body type, which is, you know, hey, this guy could probably turn around and do a 360 dunk as well. He's a great athlete. But then I started looking at the stuff between him and Jack Flaherty, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, he throws harder. He's got better spin. He's got better release. He's got a better extension. This guy's got an incredible upside. Well, Jack Flaherty's been in Cy Young voting, right? I'm saying this guy's got better stuff. So if he finds the zone and he understands who he is, there's no reason he can't be a one, a two, just like Jack Flaherty or better. So that's why I picked him, and that, that's who I'm really excited to see. The other ones, I'm just going to wait and see. You know, are they going to hold back guys like Contreras and Ortiz and some of these youngsters, give them pitch limits? I hope not. I hope they just let them go. If they do, we could be really, really good. And then obviously the monkey in the room is always Mitch Keller. I think he's going to have a huge year. Uh, last time I saw him, he had a huge smile on his face. He bumped into me, gave me a hug, and I was like, whoa, that's a different cat. You know, the stress seemed gone, the anxiety seemed gone. He just seemed like he was joyful. And I think anytime you can find a guy that's joyful with stuff, you should start to worry if you're another team.
So we can assume that David Bednar is going to be the the closure. Mm-hmm. Who, who do you think is going to stand out in the bullpen besides him? One of the guys that doesn't make the rotation is going to stand out. Uh, JT Brubaker is a guy that I'll be interested to see what they do. Do I think he can be a starter of the major leagues? Absolutely. Do I think he can be right in the middle of the pack? Absolutely. Do I see him being a guy that could be like Blake? Is it Blake Tryon? Is that the right name? The big, tall guy with L.A.? Super sinker. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I see a lot of JT stuff in him. Um, so do I see him being able to walk out to the bullpen, be that eight guy, and then give it to Bednar? Two completely different guys. You have sinker slider to bowling ball and then tabletop uh, curveball. So I, I would love to see that if, if JT gets pushed. And, too, with the injury history and stuff, I think that could help prolong his career. We'll see if that happens. Um, I, I think he also spent a lot of time this, this winter with, at – uh, trend athletics, working on change up, doing some different things. So he may come out and be better than I could ever imagine, which that's his personality. So first I wanted to say that I hope that he did everything that I think he did to be the starter. If so, he's going to be a guy that's going to jump out to people too, because he spent a lot of time trying to rework some things and develop a new pitch and, and do some things that he's never done in the past. Um, I think Will Crow is going to take a huge step forward and learn from some of the mistakes, especially uh, late last year. It's very different when you're leading the league and the team. A lot of times in innings pitch, you've never been out there before. And then I got to say Underwood. Underwood's got the stuff. He's got the ability. This is the year. This is it. If he doesn't figure it out this year, he's not going to be a bucko again. But he's a guy that if he just understands how good his stuff is. And I've talked to a couple guys across the league, and they said, dude, we just pray we don't get to his changeup. Oh, wait, he's got a great breaking ball too. And then it didn't matter if they got behind the count. If he's able to throw those pitches in the zone, because every time he got in trouble last year, it was because he wasn't in the zone. If he gets in the zone, he's going to be really good. And then I think there's going to be some guys that stand out, like Holderman and stuff, but I want to give that a little bit of time. Injuries always are something that I kind of pull back from and say, okay, let's wait and see what happens. But if they can stay healthy, I think they have the depth in AAA to be really good out there. And I think bullpen arms are something that, obviously, Sherrington's shown that he's going to go out and get some thunder to put out there. So Mike, we, we talked about the Pirates. That was a great rundown. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about Mike McHenry. Um, you were born and raised in the Knoxville, Tennessee area, then played for Middle Tennessee uh, Blue Raiders at the college level. Uh, what were those early days like for you, and, and who were your early influences who sort of inspired you to get into the game of baseball? I always say that I slid out of the womb, like I was sliding into home. I, I was in a hurry and ready to go. I was, I was premature and you know, my influence was really just my willpower. My mom and dad always supported me. Uh, my dad was a lot tougher on me. Uh, made me always kind of want to do more and, and kind of push back. Um, I think that's just from his father's relationship. who was really, really tough on him. But my mom was like Dorothy Mantooth. If you know what I'm, know what I'm saying from the movie, she was a saint. And she got me to every practice on time, still worked 60 hours a week. So that put something in me that just said, just get it, get it done, figure it out, work, get it done, figure out work, and always kind of hit myself on the chest and said, whatever it takes. And that's kind of been my mentality throughout life and from high school all the way through college, no matter shortcomings, good, bad, or ugly, I always said, whatever it takes. So I get through uh, high school, go to Middle Tennessee State. My coach recruited me. I was the second pick. Reason was because he didn't think I wanted to catch. He came and literally said, if you don't say you want to catch, I'm taking a scholarship home. 
and you're not getting anything. So, oh, great. That sounds outstanding. I do want to catch, so let's go. I uh, had my first struggle in, in college my first year. I put way too much pressure on myself. Um, didn't even hit my weight, which is never good. So went off summer ball and figured some things out, came back and ended up being All-American, getting drafted. So it was a it was a crazy experience, good experience, a lot of ups and downs. I had three surgeries my sophomore year. There's a lot to it, but I think all the resilience and everything that I learned, I wouldn't take it back. You know, you, people say, oh, I wish this didn't happen. Honestly, everything that's happened, good, bad, or ugly, I'm glad it happened because it's molded me into who I am today. Right. Well, with everything that happened, uh, you eventually ended up at Pittsburgh. You joined the Pirates before the uh, 2011 season. What were your initial impressions of the, the city of Pittsburgh, the Pirates fans, and manager uh, Clint Hurdle? Well, the first day I got there, I get traded from Boston. I'm in AAA. I'm in a weird spot. I'm behind Veritech, and I'm behind Saltamachia. And, you know, I would sit out a game. I'd be on the taxi squad. Back then, when you're on the taxi squad, it didn't really count. You know, nobody even knew. You know, my wife actually just, as, as a gift, bought me my Boston jersey. And nobody mm -hmm. would even know I have a Boston jersey because nobody knew I was actually on a taxi squad. So, like, it, it, it's, it, was, it was meaningful to me. Uh, but the biggest thing is I got that call, and I'm at Whole Foods or Trader Joe's scanning my food. You know, we had an off day, and I get a call from Ernie, my manager, and he says, hey, man, you just got traded. I was like, oh, man, not again. I already got <laughs> traded once. He's like, you're going to Pittsburgh. I was like, okay, uh, where's the AAA? And he goes, no, 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 no. You're going to Pittsburgh. And I was like, you mean I'm going to the bigs? He goes, yeah, you're going to the bigs. Congrats. And then not five minutes later, Theo called me. Another five minutes, uh, Sherrington called me. Another five minutes, Terry Francona called me and all thanked me and said, this is for you. And I'll never forget that. Um, that's when Ben Sherrington came here. I was like, it's a good man. A really, really good man. Uh, because they don't have to do that. They didn't have to do that. They put me in a weird spot in AAA and and it, they said, You don't deserve what you're getting, and we're gonna let you go and go do your thing. So that was a really, really cool thing. That's why I'm gonna be on Sherrington's side because I believe he's that same human being and he remembers what it's like uh looking at these players, how hard it can be, and, and he treats them fairly. So I really appreciate that. But Pittsburgh was one of those places that after I got the the glitz and glamour out of the way, you know, just showing up. It's overwhelming that day you show up. I, I got to the ballpark at 12. I had to do scoreboard stuff, answer questions, media, scouting reports, sit down with Paul Maholam, and it was just overwhelming how much stuff. And honestly, like, I felt like I was just floating through it all. But we won that game, and then we went to Houston, and it seemed like the, the, the city was just a fit for me. Just my personality. It's like they wrapped their arms around me and said, hey, just do it. What you got to do, work your tail off, and we'll take care of you. And I feel like that's how it's been ever since. And I love the city. I live here now, and I appreciate everything that the city's given to me. And just like Roberto Clemente said, I was born twice the day that I was actually born and the day I became a Pittsburgh Pirate. And that's kind of mm -hmm. what I've said. That's when I became the fort. And, I, and I'll forever embrace the city because I feel like the city really embraced me. So 2013 was a monumental season for the Pittsburgh Pirates organization. Kind of a mixed bag for you. Uh, you started off the season pretty strong. Then in late July, you went four for five against the Marlins. But unfortunately, a knee injury ended things for you right there. Uh, the Pirates went on to have their first winning season in 20 years, advanced the NLDS. Uh, could you speak on what was probably an array of emotions for you that year? And, and were you able to share in that great run with your teammates in, in some capacity? 
So yeah, that was a really strange year altogether. Um, it started out with I'm in I'm in um, Mexico with my wife on vacation, and I'm I'm going into this season thinking they're going to bring someone on to kind of share time with me. That's what I was told. Well, I get a call from my agent said it just said explicit of word, and I called him and he goes, "Hey, they just signed Russell Martin." I'm like, "Okay," and the next call I got was Russell Martin is 55. You don't have a number anymore. And, but I didn't get a call from a GM, didn't get a call for a coach, didn't call from anybody. It was just my agent telling me that. And man, you talk about feeling just completely like lost. You know, you're coming off 12 where we're in first place and no one even takes the time to call you to say, Hey, this is what's going on. He's going to take your number. Um, but like you're still part of the plan, blah, blah. It was just a really strange thing. So I went into spring training, had a good spring, had a great first month, and then I started struggling. And it it, it was tough because like I had a good year the year before and I was trying to do too much. You know, I was a guy that always wanted to help his team and Russell was struggling. So I was like, all right, just, you know, if, if I just kind of can balance this out, let Russell get on his feet. He's just learning the, the vision, blah, blah, blah. And, I was just trying to do everything I could. So I was putting way too much pressure on myself. And that emotion roller coaster was tough. But then I let it go. In the last couple of weeks, right before I got hurt, uh, I started playing a lot better. And then I got hurt in Miami. It was just a complete fluke event. Slid in a second. My knee gets stuck. Um, I, I do take a lot of pride that I finished the game. Uh, there was never a game that I started and didn't finish. Um, and I, I took pride in that. So Russell was beat up. I got to finish that game. My knee was stuck the entire time like this. Um, and then went off to LA and had surgery. When I got back, uh, Hurdle and a couple of the coaches pulled me aside and said, we want you to stay. I know the training staff may say you go home, but we want you around the guys. We want you to help with scout reports. Uh, me and Jeff Carson's actually uh, were kind of in the thick of everything. And that was really, really cool. That's not normal. It's not something that they normally do. And then two, during that time, my wife always says, during dark times, sometimes light can shine through. That's when I got my chance at AT&T. Robbie Inzbukowski came to me and asked if I'd want to fill in for Teak while the guys were on their West Coast trip, so I did. It was supposed to be one day. It ended up being 10, and about four or five years later, like about seven or eight years later, I got a call asking if I'd want to come in and interview and ended up getting the job. So you never know what a situation can be and you know, kind of how it can unfold if you just kind of work through it and let it happen, and that's exactly what happened for me is something happened that was really, really cool, and ended up kind of changed the whole trajectory of my life. Right, right. Well, that, that leads into my final question. I was going to ask you about whenever you were a studio analyst for the Pirates, um, they, what uh, what was the best part of that experience? What was maybe your fondest memory? Man, it, it's a, it's been a fear of mine for so long. Um, as a kid, I had two learning disabilities, um, had a really hard time with spelling and writing especially talking in front of people. So the fact that I'm doing what I'm doing is just an absolute godsend. I, I never in a million years would have thought it, but it was one teacher in college that opened up my mind and my wife being a communications person saying, you know, just throw yourself out there and see what happens. And I did. And I always tell kids all the time, never put a limitation on what you can do or what you can be. Nobody can ever tell you that period, because you're the only one that can kind of drive that wrecking ball through insecurities, anxieties, whatever have you. So that was the first thing is that it actually happened was kind of mind blowing. And man, 
what goes into TV, what goes into media. I mean, even before we got on here, I was having a hard time getting the cable to stay connected to my computer. And that's every single day as an analyst. So like baseball is one side of it, but there's this huge other side that, oh no, the the clip they were supposed to show, they showed the wrong one. So instead of breaking down Brian Reynolds, I'm breaking down Oviedo because they just right. pushed the wrong button. And that's been a joy for me. I, I realized that I love the chaos of that. I love being able to be adaptable and that's kind of how I go about it. It's been a lot of fun learning the behind the scenes, how the production works, the switcher boards, all the technology and how, man, it just takes one little blip and that stuff just goes absolutely haywire and you just, you got to adapt. And those are some of the best shows we've ever had. Nobody ever knew. I'll never forget uh, last year, everything went black. And me and King are on set and the screen froze and we just talked baseball and, and our ratings were high. Like everything was off the charts. And I'm just like, it's just because we just did what we could. And I feel like we got rewarded for it in some weird way. So it's been fun. It, it, it's been a joy. It's been really tough. 2020 through parts of last year were really, really tough. The restrictions, the, the, the ability to have access and all the things that were like not easy to do your job with were no fun. But like I said before, I think it's only made me better. You know, I had to, I had to learn different. I had to ask questions different. I had to do all these things I'd never done before. I learned how to produce. I learned how to direct. I learned how to edit um, because we were just short staffed. So it's, it's been, it's been a really cool experience. It's been a great learning curve for me. And I, I hope to just continue to get better at it. Well, thank you so, thank you so much, Mike, for coming on, sharing your, your story on your career there and, and talking about the buckos with us. We really appreciate that. Hey, no problem. I appreciate it. And the graphics behind you. You guys, you just too much. I appreciate it. <laughs> awesome stuff. Well, Remind everybody, hit that like and subscribe button, and we'll see you all next time. Have a great night.